0: I want to give gratitude for the lineage of people that have influenced this day, these words, and this space. Let us pause to honor the people who have been here before us—the Catawba people and their ancestors—whose land we stand on now and whose land was taken from them. Let us pause to honor the enslaved people whose bodies and labor were taken from them to build this empire and its economy. I also want to honor the voices that influenced the words of the sermon. I give gratitude to Lanise Pinkard and Clarissa Pincola Estes, whose work influenced today's message. It is good to be worshiping with you. You know, you're my kind of people— The kind of people who have been on the front lines of justice movements, organizing around affordable housing, addressing health and safety concerns, working towards dismantling white supremacy, and cultivating inclusivity within your congregation. You from your place and I from mine, we have been working hard and thinking hard. We have been pushing ourselves to keep at it, to persevere to work ferociously and boldly and nearly inexhaustibly. We have deconstructed and reconstructed. We have had book clubs and panel discussions. We have gone to coffee shops and taken our coffee cup. We have gone to grocery stores and made sure to bring our own grocery bags. We have critiqued and talked and analyzed and reanalyzed and looked at our own assumptions and presumptions. And all of our work, after all of that, all of our talks, all of our smarts, after all of our answers and all of our conclusions and all of our struggles, as Jeremiah says, The summer has come, and the harvest is past, and we are still not delivered. Despite our fearless, daring, unwavering efforts, the operation of the death culture we are in is manifesting and shape-shifting in altogether new ways. Despite marches through uptown, social media activism, task force and think tanks, despite coalitions and campaigns, despite interfaith gatherings and broad-based organizing efforts, Charlotte is still worse off. We are still worse off, dizzy and stumbling, sick and frail from empire affective disorder. We find ourselves fatigued and thirsty. We find ourselves in a valley of dry bones, decaying rot of a malformed nation at its gut, fermented and demented, disintegrating brittle bones of a dying church, only a shell of what she once was. Dislocated ruins, dust of the displaced and disconnected, scattered by the winds. We are in a valley of dry bones in a barren land. The book of Ezekiel is wild. God spends a lot of time taking Ezekiel to different places, showing Ezekiel different sites— There are wheels in the sky. There are hovering above eagles and vines. There are places across the landscape where Israelites have been scattered and they're living in exile. Each chapter is devoted to a story of God taking Ezekiel to a new place and saying to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, tell the people, this is what the Lord says. There will be desolation. There will be destruction. There will be judgment. Things are not right, but I, the Lord, will make them right. I will bring restoration. Repent. It will not be easy. And in each place, Ezekiel says to the people, This is what the Lord says. There will be desolation. There will be destruction. There will be judgment. Things are not right. God will make them right. God will bring restoration. Repent. It will not be easy. At chapter 37, where we're reading today, it's as if God doesn't quite think the folks are getting it yet. So, the Spirit of God takes Ezekiel to a barren land, parched, desolated, depleted, a place of disenfranchisement, of alienation, a place altogether broken and come loose. In this barren land, God led Ezekiel to walk around in and among the dust and bones. Scripture says, The hand of the Lord came upon me, and she brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. She led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. Ezekiel, Spirit said, can you stand it? Can you stand what you see? All the carnage, the self-destruction, the deadness, can you stand to look? People of God, Spirit says, look out over the parched lands of the death complex, the empire culture at what lies at our feet as far as we can see. See the destruction. Can you stand it? Can you stand to look? Do you have the courage to face the bones? Can you face the bones without fear? Can we reach our hands into the rot and the ruin without fleeing, without putting up defenses, without blame? Do we have the humility to face the bones without shame? If you have the strength, I'll tell you about the bones from where I stand. Folks don't like to share the skeletons in their closet. It's not easy to let others walk in and through one's personal valley of bones. But I think it's important to let folks in and unearth what has been hidden. Some of you have heard about the place that I live and work Exhilarated and blind and naive, 15 years ago, led by a sense of the Spirit's calling and also just an energetic youthfulness, Greg and I moved to, to Charlotte. We moved to the west side in Enderly Park, and this was a neighborhood that the Charlotte Quality of Life study called Fragile and Threatened. We were struck with the notion and the practice of Christian hospitality, so we offered our space in our home to neighbors who were homeless or were experiencing housing transition. We went on to coordinate community gatherings and youth activities. What started as a practice of communal living and hospitality grew to what is now known as QC Family Tree which is an organization that is creating affordable housing and using arts and culture to organize the community for the common good. Now, my own identity and place in the neighborhood and in this work is complex and multi-layered. I am white, educated, middle class, Southern, and woman, living among and working within a predominantly black and generationally poor context. After 15 years of deep and meaningful relationship, I interact with neighbors as if they were my family and friends, sharing meals and stories and milestones together. And yet, I can never fully understand or experience the daily mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual cost and trauma of living in black bodies, in a racist city and nation, under the gaze and brutal weight of our extractive and oppressive government and economy. It is within this valley of dry bones that I experience firsthand the benefit and privilege afforded to me because of my race and education and socioeconomic status. And it's also in this valley of dry bones that I have experienced secondary and sometimes firsthand trauma of violence, police brutality, death, divestment, and displacement. It is here in this dry land where I question actions from the past, times when I didn't get it right, and in fact, I got it all wrong, times when I carried long-held myths as truths and enacted the very things I thought I was against, missions that looked like colonialism, leadership that looked like disempowerment. I made decisions based on lies rather than truth, deficit rather than asset. I applied tall tales and skewed history, white supremacy to my sense of self and to my sense of others. Each of us is standing in a valley of dry bones. There, there is personal suffering and grief, brutal heartache for ourselves, our neighbors, and our community. Multiple layers of experience and crisis and trauma are here among the bones. This valley of dry bones, this extractive empire, strangle and depletes. Living in a racialized, segregated, and economically oppressive system deprives God's people of wholeness. All of God's people. It does this to those who enjoy social privileges and economic stability, as well as those whose backs are against the law. At different rates and at different times, all feel the fatigue and burnout of a burnt-out system in our bodies, hearts, souls, and minds. This land is your land. This land is my land. This land is barren land. There are systems that are institutionalizing, orchestrating, formulating, hatching racism, ageism, ableism, heterosexism, Systems such as the education system, the system of mass incarceration, the health care system, the government system, are systematizing oppression, giving prejudice, legs and feet, buildings and structures, property and policy, at the expense of and determining who are those on the margins. Scripture reads, The Lord showed me all around, and everywhere I looked, I saw bones that were dried out. And she said, Ezekiel, can these bones come back to life? People of God, can these bones come back to life? This is our Lenten observance. Gather all of the skeletal parts. Line them all up. Uncover, unearth Untangle it all. We must face the broken bones. We must look at the killing thing that has gained hold. Our Lenten practice is to look deeply, listen fully, let the truth be exposed. Lent is a time to stand and face the bones. Look with humility, look with repentance, to look without turning your head to piece it all apart, to look with curiosity, to look with hope. Can you stand to look at the corner of Tuckasegee and Parkway in Enderly Park? There you'll find the dust and decay from generations of systemic divestment, economic oppression, segregation, and racism. Watch your feet on Tuck as you step hesitantly around the fractured spine mangled from the tight grip of generational eviction and strategic displacement. You'll find the remains of ancestors who bore the weight and the exhaust of our extractive economy on their backs and in their lungs. The evidence of this is still crudely inscripted on property deeds, restricting black folks from residing or owning the land and homes they inhabit. Structures they likely help to build. You'll also witness the strong bones of resilience. Wrists, carpels, still reaching, still gripping, still holding on. Can you stand to face the bones? To look without turning your head and piece them apart? Track the body. See what you see. Bent over from pain, a few years ago, Lonel sat on the ground, tears in his eyes. What's wrong? I asked. Well, we were exploring the creek, and my foot got caught, and I think it's broken. I propped his leg up and washed his wound and and gave him some ice. We're about an hour away from home, I said. Let's call mom and see if she wants me to take you home or if you're supposed to go to urgent care or to the emergency room. Lonel called mom, and I called mom. Mom was at work. For years, she has worked as a nutrition specialist in a senior care facility in the South Park area. Because her wages are slim, she is almost always at work. Mom didn't answer the phone. In pain, Lonell started to think the worst. She's not going to answer. She never answers. She doesn't care. I tried to reassure him. Yes, she does care. She will call back. I tried texting. She tried calling back, but the signal was lost. An hour later, we arrived on Tuck, and Lionel's tears turned ice cold. Forget it, he said. She's not coming. I'm just going to handle it myself. I'm just going home. Well, I can take you to the urgent care or to the hospital myself. You're not alone in this, Lionel, I said. He looked up, shook his head, and said, I can't. Just take me home. I knew what he was thinking. He was thinking that if I, a white lady, take this boy to the hospital, we will raise suspicion with the system. And if his mom does not come while we're there, the hospital will call DSS. Going to the hospital with the helpful neighbor to mend a broken foot could result in being ripped away from your family and from your home. It's true. I know this because I made this mistake 14 years earlier. We had a family of three teenagers living with us, and mom got back while she was getting back on her feet. Her children got sick one time. Mom wasn't responding to a phone call, so uh, I took the child to the hospital. When it was time to be discharged, mom couldn't be there. Within a week, the teenager was placed in the foster care system and stayed in foster care for two years. The reality from where I stand is this. Fifteen-year-old hurting and broken Lonell wants his mama to come home when he breaks his foot. She can't be home because the employment system requires her to work extra long hours to keep a roof over Lonell's head. And even though he is writhing in pain, he refuses medical care because his healing puts his mom, his family, and himself at risk. The system does not tolerate a neighbor helping a neighbor. In fact. It punishes such an act. Fractured and broken, Lionel takes on a weight and responsibility that should not be his to bear. Lionel's bones began the healing process when Mom met Lanell in the urgent care parking lot just in time for him to go inside that day. Though his foot is healed, there are broken bones still scattered at our feet. Dust from construction floated in the air at Ashley Park Academy. Eight or more years ago, all the West Side elementary schools merged with the West Side middle schools. Primarily, and perhaps only, West Side, all primary schools are K through 8. Dust only recently settled from the construction when Ashley Park School, that supports over 500 CMS kindergarten to eighth graders, for the first time got their own real gym. Before then, children were not permitted to access an adequate sports fields, a band room, or choir room, spaces that are afforded to other middle schoolers in the county. This means that at least six graduating classes of Ashley Park K-8 through went through and completed their studies in a Charlotte Mecklenburg Middle School without the benefit of something as simple as a gymnasium. Is there anything here worth saving, salvaging? Is there anything here still living, still capable of coming alive? What around us, about us, and within us must live and what must die? Crouching at the broken foot of Lonel and listening to his story, seeing his tears, is there something here of life, goodness, and hope, something that can breathe again? Amidst the dust and construction at Ashley Park, is there possibility or promise In this valley of dry bones, we need to recover each and every part. You cannot be put back together again until every part is unearthed. Lay it all out there. Disparities. Lay it next to individualism, segregation, wealth hoarding, ignorance. What we have failed and what we have failed not to do. We must line up the bones, count them, see for ourselves the valley we are standing in. And then, we must prophesy. We must engage in truth-telling. We must risk it all, tell the truth with boldness and courage, action and incarnation, with our bodies, our breath, our homes, our choices— In the midst of pain, we must face our common plight, tell the truth with an honest tongue, admit the evil lot that we have been given and that we have made, be honest about the condition we are in, and we must be willing to change. Torn wide open in spite of the cost, we must summon, nourish, shape, and embody an alternative to this death valley." This requires important and necessary personal work of mending personal relationships, intending to interpersonal peacemaking, asking for forgiveness, repenting for wrongdoings, sharing with neighbors, meditating on our own blind spots and areas of growth. And we must also attend to systemic work, address the structures Work toward institutionalizing anti-oppressive values and practices into our businesses, organizations, daily life, budgets, and other systems that we are a part of and benefit from. We must speak to the bones. Dry bones? There is still life in here. Listen to what the Lord is saying to you. You will come alive again, bones, and you will know that our creator is God. God will open your graves and set you free. And what I mean when I say speak to the bones here is I mean shout to the bones, sing to the bones, holler to the bones, communicate with the bones, express to the valley of dry bones, deliver and declare with your voices, with your behaviors, with your vocation, with our organizations and our institutions, all the ways we know how, embodying a Active faith that proclaims that within us is the potential to be fleshed out again. And when we do this, when we face the bones, speak the truth, prophesy with our whole selves, we will hear God saying, my spirit will give you breath and you will live again. I will bring you home and you will know that I have kept my promise. I, the Lord, have spoken. Amen.